Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Everything is going to hell down here in Texas. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the show. This is the Lone Gummin Podcast, and I am your host, Rob Clark, with you again for the exciting conclusion. This is part three of remote viewing the Kennedy assassination. We heard from about the uh, shooters in parts one and two, and today in part three, we're going to be learning about the organizers or the planners and the people who kind of put this deal together. So stay tuned with me here. Once again, this is from the Farsight Institute, farsight.org. Um, and Courtney Brown is going to take us away, and it's going to be the same reviewers uh, for, that did the first two parts. They are going to be each be doing an analysis on uh, what they see as far as the organizers or planners of the assassination were. So check it out. So without further ado... Mr. Courtney Brown of the Farsight Institute, take us away, sir. This is part two of a two-part documentary on the assassination of John F. Kennedy. I am Courtney Brown, director of the Farsight Institute, a nonprofit educational and research organization that's dedicated to the study of a phenomenon known as remote viewing. We are the leading venue for public research into remote viewing as it is done using highly structured data collection methodologies of a type similar to those developed by the United States military and used for espionage purposes. In part one, we present remote viewing data that focus on the shooters 
who were involved in the assassination of JFK as it occurred in Dealey Plaza in Dallas, Texas on the 22nd of November, 1963. As is clear in that first part of our project, there was no lone gunman who killed Kennedy. According to these new data, JFK was killed by two teams of expert marksmen working together. Also in part one, the experimental conditions are described that were used to obtain these data, all collected under totally blind and clean scientific conditions. In part two of this documentary, which, as I said, is what you are watching right now, the focus shifts to those who organized and planned the assassination. I designed this study, and my assumption going into this research was that at least much of the official story of a lone gunman, possibly someone connected with a foreign power or organized crime, was probably correct. I was not well-versed in the so-called conspiracy theories relating to the assassination. I do not do remote viewing research at a university. I do it at the Farsight Institute. Nonetheless, I am both a mathematician and a social scientist, and I have found that social scientists are often naive when it comes to taking officialdom at face value. And I am no less guilty of this than any other social scientist. We get data sets from official sources, trust that the data were collected properly, and then go about the task of analyzing the data. But I am also the leading scholar in the subject of remote viewing as it is done using these highly structured methodologies. Moreover, I know the quality of remote viewing, that the remote viewers who worked on this JFK assassination project, Dick Algeyer and Daz Smith, are capable of obtaining. So while I may be a naive social scientist on one level, I am a very aware remote viewing scholar who knows when to trust the remote viewing data when they are collected by the best remote viewers working under a properly structured experimental design. Once this experiment was completed and I examined all of the data, no one was more challenged than myself by the very real idea that the official story of a lone gunman named Lee Harvey Oswald is probably not correct. After you see all of the data, you will have to make up your own mind also. My only advice is that you keep an open mind and that you take this opportunity to learn a bit more about remote viewing as it is done under optimal conditions by the best viewers on the planet. Again, the remote viewers for this project, Daz Smith and Dick Algeyer, have studied remote viewing for many years and both have long and publicly verified track records in projects conducted at the Farsight Institute. This second part of the JFK assassination project aims squarely at those who organized the assassination by targeting the highest level meeting that occurred to plan the killing. Both viewers hit this target spot on, as you will see for yourself, but they also perceive different elements of this organization of planners. The data were all collected with the viewers totally blind to the target. They were alone when they did their remote viewing sessions, all recorded live on video. Moreover, this entire project actually had four targets, two of which involved the JFK assassination, while the 
other two involved something totally unrelated. Before the viewers did the viewing for this second target of the JFK assassination, I had them do the other two unrelated targets first. That way, they would not have been aware that this second target on the JFK assassination had anything to do with the first target involving the shooters. Again, the remote viewers did all of their work totally blind. They were only sent a non-leading email that said, there is a target, remote view it. They had to obtain all of the data by themselves. Moreover, Dick and Daz were on opposite sides of the planet. Dick Algeyer in Hawaii and Daz Smith in the UK. And they did not communicate in any way during the data collection period of this project. The total time needed for the viewers to do both of these JFK targets spanned a period of several months, from August 2015 to October 2015. For example, Dick Algeyer did his first session for part one of this project on the 20th of August, finished all of part one after a few days, and then took a break, went on with his life, did sessions for some other targets, and so on, and then he picked up with the target for part two of this project on the 24th of September. The same is true of Daz Smith. Separating the targets, addressing the shooters from the targets, focusing on those who organized the assassination with time and unrelated activities helped to keep these data pristine. Now, I am assuming that everyone watching this video has already seen part one of this two-part documentary. So you already know how these data describe the way John F. Kennedy was killed. Expert marksmen working in teams together with additional support personnel nearby in Dealey Plaza and the surrounding buildings. So now let's dive into those who planned the assassination by watching them as they put the pieces together in meetings that are clearly above top secret. We start with the session by Daz Smith and then move to the data collected by Dick Algeyer. After you see the data from both viewers, I will try to pull it all together, hopefully making some headway in connecting the dots. This is remote viewing at its best. Watch it closely and then see how we use these data to answer the big questions. Hi there, uh, my name is Dad Smith and I'm going to be doing Target 14B for Courtney at the Farsight Institute. Okay, so let's get right to it, see what we get. So 14B. Okay, so I have a life, mail, and there's lots of activity. Uh, confusion. And uh, an aggression, busy, organized. This is male over 40s, uh, there's a group of them. Uh, 
they're in a situation meeting stroke event they have purpose this planned secret okay this secret e meeting hidden it's hidden a hidden secret meeting between men um this feels like it's in the past it's a past event uh and the males feel oh let's have a feeling here formal and that's in their dress and in their overall appearance and their attitude okay and some of them feel uh stiff starched official and if you had to describe them they'd be something like a government time and I see uh, I see a situation here with these ones uh, the formal ones which is since you have a primary male he feels like he's higher up and he has support males these ones are really feel stiff. Uh, it feels like they've got white collar shirts, ties, that kind of thing. Um, almost like a security detail. Security or support, I would say these are. This feels like it's a very formal uh, business meeting type event between two parties, two opposing parties. Um, See if I can detail this a bit more here for you. Uh, very stiff, some of these people. Um, don't say a lot, just follow orders. Uh, by orders from like a lead male. So uh, there's a situation uh, I'm not very good at sketching, so let's see if I can sketch this here. Uh, and it feels like there's a man with his hand outstretched here. Um, and the same this side. So there's two males, primary males meeting. But in the background and all around, And in the background here, in like a formal situation, we have other males. So these are in the background. Support staff, two opposing sizes, two different viewpoints. And one of them feels stiffer than the other, organized. So on the, on the left-hand side here, these feel stiffer official uh, educated um, strong these feel like they're planners and over this side these feel a little bit more loose in organization uh, not so official but they have a tiered structure they feel like they're remote and they traveled 
to the meeting, travelled longer distance, a uh, bit less organised, a bit less stiff, um, and these feel like aggressors. Feels like one's like one group does the planning, one group does does the aggression, and it feels like they're meeting for a meeting um, to plan something, and it feels very dark and devious. Feels like it's um, some like some kind of nefarious goal or something. I'm trying to pick up on this here. Um, feels like they're making plans, and it, it feels very political here as well. Um, especially these guys. These guys feel political. Uh, and their whole demeanour feels very, uh, oh, moves within moves. Uh, very chess-like in how they move people around, create situations, organise. Um, and I get the feeling as well of, uh, some kind of recruitment, some kind of, uh, Bending the mind of someone, coercion, um, lots of plans, coercion, planning, manipulation, but yeah, they seem to be, so this seems to be a meeting in a, in, in a structure between two different groups of people opposing but have come together for a common goal here. One feel one one group feels very official, very business-like, very formal suits, very sharply dressed. Uh, don't say a lot. Very professional in their demeanour and how they present themselves. Uh, this is all a, a secret meeting, very quiet, very hushed. Now this group feels very kind of government and officially in 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 feeling to them. Feels like they have like a security team and support staff. This is a very stiff, uh, starched, political. Uh, yes, yeah, very strong government feeling to these guys. The other group feel a little bit less formal, although they're still wearing business suits and stuff, but they just haven't got that finish to them. Uh, they haven't got that professionalism or experience. It's, it's a lot looser. feel like they travel a long way. Um, these feel a little, I don't want to say less educated, but they do feel less educated. There seems to be like a tiered structure here. These guys feel a bit more upper class. These feel slightly lower class. Um, but these feel like they're aggressors. They feel like they're kind of like hired muscle or something. They're they're here to act out on plans, uh, joint plans that these guys come up to, and it feels like they're they're here for this meeting to do this. And the whole aim of this feels like it's uh, planned events, a series of events, manipulation of people and events. And again, this all feels very political. Uh, it feels like it has global implications. So it feels like this is just kind of like almost like a secret kind of meeting between people that are going to manipulate events to their aims and goals. And it all feels very dark and yeah, nefarious. Um, not nice at all. Um, not nice people. And they feel like, in general, they feel like they're men over 40. So, you know, they feel like they're they're weathered in their in their roles and in their lives um, there may be some 30s to 40s don't see any females in, involved in this though that's what leads me to think it's a past thing feels like you know in the past you know i hate to admit it but women weren't involved in this kind of stuff a lot more and that's what i get here it feels like a past 
kind of 50s, 60s type era, 40s, 50s, 60s, it just had that kind of male dominance to it, with women far in the background. What else can I pick up here? I feel there's an element of distrust here, distrust in the entire planning thing that they're going through. They're very wary of the plans, very apprehensive of what's going to be happening. Um, but there's also a distrust between the two different groups as well. This first meeting or this meeting that they're having is this one of a series of meetings. Uh, and they're shaking hands, but I can sense that there's this distrust, not knowing exactly if they can trust each other yet uh, to this situation. Yeah, some males. Very, and again, a very dark situation. Um, yeah, very apprehensive. Uh, and it, yeah, definite feel of global political repercussions. So it feels very political. And it feels like it's almost like they're planning an event for the future that's going to change things. Okay, so should we see what else we can get here on this? Um, what else? Um, definite, definite feel of global plans and actions, repercussions. Feels like almost like chess pieces to be moved, a game of chess being played. Uh, strategic. Strategic, that's a good word. Strategic moving of people and plans, planning ahead, of moving people, moving situations. And this coercion feels important as well. It feels like at least one person has been coerced, uh, manipulated into joining or doing something or being involved. Feels like this is a male. Um, it's a strange situation. Can't quite put my fingers on it. Fourteen uh, B. There's a male, and he's in a worrying situation. Uh, manipulated. Lied to. Uh, coerced. Friendly, and they're kind of moving him in a direction that they want. And I have to be honest here: this whole target has an underhand feel of. Oh, I want to write underhand to go with this. Underhand feel of what I would call spycraft. It has that kind of manipulating someone to be a double agent type feel of it uh, and this is a male this is happening to between the age of 28 and 40 small finish um, planning to use him move him into a situation uh, again this feels dark um, can't quite put my finger on it This is all hidden, this is all planned in secret, a meeting was in secret. So essentially, 14B, as a target, feels like a 
meeting between a secret meeting hidden away in a structure in a town slightly removed between two separate groups of people. One of them feels quite starchy, stiff, well-dressed, educated, have a kind of government, kind of official, kind of lawyery type professional feeling about them. Uh, and they feel like they're more of the planners, the instigators, they called the other ones in, in to help. And it feels like these two groups meet, they shake hands, there's a few people on each side, there's support staff in the background, all male. Uh, the other group travelled to get here. They feel a, a little bit less educated, a little bit less stiff and professional. You know, they're wearing the same kind of clothes, but they just don't have the same kind of edge to them. They don't feel as professional. Um, now, they feel like they're an aggressors. They feel like they're doing some kind of aggressive action uh, from the plans that come about from this joint meeting. Both sides are very apprehensive. They're scared, not only of each other, but of what they're trying to achieve, which is some kind of dark, dubious, secret, nefarious plan. Um, it does involve someone being manipulated, coerced into doing something, and that feels like a lonely male, single male on his own, that's been manipulated. And if I had to say something, I would almost say um, mind-influenced and yeah, you know, it's, it's all been very, um, very subtle, subtly approached, subtly and friendly, coerced over time. Uh, yeah, like a chess piece over time. This is all feels very planned situation. Uh, lots of plans uh, on many levels, but primarily between this, this yeah, two two groups that meet, uh, very business like. Very government-like, very structured, very formal. You know, once they had their meeting in this closed environment, they both go their separate ways. The communication's kept very tight between them. Hardly anyone communicates, hardly anyone talks. Yes, just a very strange, dubious, intense meeting between these two groups uh, with nefarious goals. Um, and it seems like there's an interconnected chain of events that's going to happen uh, because of this. And it all feels very, you know, it's almost like I can see political wrangling. There seems to be a political element to this as well. It feels like there's global implications to this as well. Definitely like a deal being struck, deal, uh, kind of arrangement made between these guys. Um, plans dark goals I think that's pretty much it really um, other than the uh, the less professional Greek seems to have travelled farther like you get a feeling that they travelled long distance to get to the meeting where the other ones didn't travel so far hardly any time at all to get there so it feels like the, the meeting was on their turf um, in some way. I don't know if that has any importance. I think that's it on this target. So in summary, it feels like, uh, yeah, 
a meeting between two groups of people uh, with a dark aim, goal, political ramifications, global ramifications. Seems like they're planning some kind of hidden secret event. One one guy's one group is more on the planning stage. One group's more on the aggressive stage. But they're agreeing. Although I don't feel I don't think they're friends. They're not enemies either. But. Uh, they're apprehensively working together on this to achieve the same goal, and it feels very chess-like, very underhand, hidden moves, very secret, very organised, lots of plans, lots of secrets, very dark. It almost feels like it kind of some kind of, like some kind of um, black project of some kind or something. Um, and there feels, you know, I do feel like there are elements of intelligence and spycraft in there, especially in the way that they, it feels like. One group manipulates a single person, I think it's a single person, a single male, uh, who seems to be a key player in this planned event. And they manipulate him, coerce him over time with their friendliness, with telling him things, showing him things, almost like mind control, but not using any devices, you know, using kind of like coercion telling people over time, replication, that kind of thing. Coerce him into doing the actions for them. Um, and that's it. That's all I'm getting on 14B. So I hope this is of use to you and uh, I'll speak to you soon. Take care. Now let's move on to the session conducted by Dick Elgire. Dick's focus is a bit different from that of Daz, and Dick has his own spin on how to interpret some of his data, something that we will show you after you see his session. Let me not say any more right now. Watch the session first, and then we will pull everything together. 8RME-JRU3 Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Eight. My awareness arrives on target at this one uh, with an overhead perspective near a building looking down um, a high building, a city street, a city sidewalk. And on the sidewalk, my attention is drawn to a man walking. I see him walking this way. And on the building are like awnings or overhangs about one story up like a cement fixture that would shade um, 
part of the sidewalk and he disappears as he walks under that. I see him walk under that and then reappear right here. He's walking not really leisurely, like strolling, window shopping. He's not running, but he has a kind of a determined gait. He's just walking. He goes under this one, and I see him walk a little more. This whole sequence that I can see is maybe 10 seconds. City street, big building, sidewalk. I think there are some other people on the sidewalk, but that's my attention is just riveted on this guy. So human one next to a structure. I reset and I'm going to look at him again. And this time uh, my perspective is a little different. It's more down I can see it. I know where I am. I'm just getting the perspective right. Is uh, that's a building? That's the sidewalk. That's a big building. This building is brick. It's got windows like this. Doorway here. Um, red brick. Um, behind it is another building, an intersection here. Um, and this guy walking towards me by this building. There's other buildings behind it. It's red brick. He's on the sidewalk. There are other people, but I don't really, I'm um, kind of aware of them, but I'm more uh, focused on this guy. Um, I hear footsteps, he's breathing. I hear uh, like diesel, like a city bus, um, talking city noises. Smell exhaust, concrete, brick, uh, city smells. He's got a kind of urgent feel to him. Um, confused. A lot. Oh man, he's got a lot going on in his mind. I get a lot of conflicting stuff with him. Uh, he's. He's going somewhere, but he doesn't know where. He's going somewhere to be going somewhere to, like, he's not fleeing, but he needs to be on the move. He's thinking about, where can I go? What can I do? What should I do? Uh, um, handgun. He's thinking of a handgun. He's... He doesn't have it on him. 
he wants one. He's or he's going to go get one. He's thinking about him. Some purpose of uh, thinks it'd be a good idea to be armed for like protection. What else? Uh, he's not carrying anything. There's a in his pocket some keys. There's a scrap of paper. The paper is significant in terms of uh, where he's going. It's got like an address and a name or a phone number, instructions. Uh, but he's... He's confused. He's that there's something's happening that he doesn't know uh, why or what his role is or what he should do. He wants to go meet with someone and he's got a few errands to do before he can uh, do that. Is that uh, He's got, he's got a, this is a lonely feel, set up like a bowling pin, uh, knocked down, gets to wear and thin, like a bowling pin. You know how, uh, you set up bowling pins. All close to each other. The that's a funny way to describe this. The the um, feeling he gets is like the lone bowling pin, and the ball's coming at him. Like all the other bowling pins have disappeared. Like um, musical chairs and the music stopped. And there's nowhere for him to sit. And so he's... He's got an urgent... Uh, I get an undercover... Like he's a... I'd say he might be a spy. He... Uh, Naval intelligence, but he's not in. Where's this? This feels like an American city. Why would he be spying in an American city for? Um, let me follow him and see. Walking down the street. Okay. Let me do some more on this. That guy's going to be human one. He's definitely interesting. Human one. So I'm going to look at him in turn. I want to get more of a sense of the uh, survey the scene here. See what else I see in terms of where I am. There's a 
that was daytime. And now I also see a nighttime shot. Man, I can't draw cars. Let me see if I can. This is an old style car. One of the kind with big bumpers, big bumpers. The headlights are round and they're molded like, you know, American cars of the 50s, late 50s, 60s. Um, like a Buick, a 59 Buick or something like that, Cadillac, Ford. It's an American car, big, uh, got the grill and the bumpers, big headlights. God, I can't draw cars. Um, it's driving by, I'll tell you where it's, let, I, let me draw this thing first. Um, the big high, you know, not big fins, but some fins, that 50 style deal going. When cars used to have those um, little vent windows right there, you could, the little triangular window, and you could go like this. It was a vent window, big doors, the door handle, like that. Um, this thing is black. A black American, like, Buick. And I see it at night. It's on a big... Uh, wide roadway. Um, it's open here, like grassy. There's big buildings, but they're set back. The buildings aren't close to the road. They're far back. Um, it's a uh, misty night, like a cold night, and the air is cloudy, foggy, misty. So if there's a street lamp here, it casts a glow. It's, uh, this car is alone on the road. It's like a opening of Alfred Hitchcock, like a film noir, black and white, old mystery, uh, detective or spy movie where I'm, uh, in a dim road, not it, uh, not exactly residential, but there's some buildings over there, but okay, it's the road. And the street light, it's dark, it's misty, and out of the mist comes these headlight, and this car goes by. It's a black American car from the 50s or 60s, an old car, and it's um, like someone going to, uh, been called out in the middle of the night to a meeting, like, um, you got to come in. We got to do this in person. Um, that's a really. Uh, that would be a good opening for a movie like the mystery car is going by. Where are they going? Um, inside the car.
maybe a driver, maybe somebody in the back seat, mostly men. The important guy would be, there's one important guy in there. Uh, see where they're going. That car was an interesting sight. So those are real uh, striking visuals to me. The guy walking from overhead, the guy walking down another street, he's going somewhere with an urgent sense of purpose. He has a feel that he's um, hung out um, alone. Something is, he's real confused, like what's going on. Then I see probably later on, this is night, there's the car. And I need to look at uh, some other people because I get, there's a cast of characters here. Let me pause and draw them. I'm drawing my cast of characters here. Um, my artistic ability is... I've seen each of these faces clearly. This guy passed me on the street and I saw him... Um, he looked right at me. It's this human one. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'll describe him in a minute. This is human two. Also a young guy. They look kind of similar. This one's different. He's thinner. This one's older, jowly, um, uh, late 50s, maybe 60. Pretty old guy, jowly. But let me do these in turn because... I, they keep jumping out at me, but not um, at the same time or necessarily the same place. So this is Huban 1, and I saw him on the street walking. He's clean cut. He's about 30 years old. He's got short, light brown hair. There's no uh, marks on his face, no... Um, like tattoos or pock marks. It's a pretty uh, just normal face. Average looking guy wearing, I think, a shirt, not a tie, not formally dressed. Um, he has kind of a strong jaw, but a small chin, which I, it's hard. To, how do you draw a strong jaw, but a small uh, chin? Um, He's the guy that I felt was a spy. Um, naval intelligence. The word uh, I phonic out. Spion. 
a word associated with him. I don't know the word. Spion. 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 He's highly trained. He's very capable. He may speak this language, whatever spion is. Um, German, uh, Eastern Bloc, um, Russian. He's a spy, works for naval intelligence. He's highly trained. He's really smart. He's been doing something menial, kind of undercover, and he's he's both confused and angry about it, like um, stock boy at a store or something like, um, go move those boxes. Um, and he's like, they're not telling him why He's got an assignment, but it's a mystery to him. And then he's he's got a passport that's a fake passport. It's green. It's one of the ones that has perforated little holes that spell out uh, numbers and letters. I guess that's security, and it's a picture of him inside it, but it's a different name. He's got it hidden. Um, he tore a page out of a notebook. Um, he tore a, a page that had some information that is uh, an address, a contact. He desperately wants to meet someone and I think who he wants to meet is this guy or somebody like that. Somebody that can um, validate him or tell him what to do. But he can't just contact him in the open because he's a spy. So uh, he's afraid that's, he's, af he's afraid of what's going to happen to him, but he's also afraid of... Um, Revealing his or using his real identity as a as a validation. He wants to meet with him, but he doesn't. This guy, human two, is a really smooth face, also about in his thirties, a thin face, a thin nose. Um, Looks preppy. Um, skull and bones. Um, he's a uh, up-and-comer. Um, got a lot of power. Does things for this guy. Guys like this. Um, knows about him. I don't think he knows him.
This is the guy that was in the old style car, I think, that went to the meeting. So he's having a meeting. There's a, he's got a gruff voice. The phone rings. When the phone rings, he's on the phone a lot. It's one of those phones that is uh, the old kind, black, with the receiver sits on the cradle. It has a dial. He may have one with push, not a push button, uh, like line one, line two, sir. But you don't punch, you, you dial the numbers like that, and it rings like ring, the old style. And he talks on the phone a lot. And there's other people here that are involved with him that are kind of in the shadows, so they're all together. I see him in a place that's... Uh, comfortable office, a big office. It's got, oh, nice chairs, uh, desk, uh, dim light. I smell tobacco. People smoked inside then. You didn't need to go outside. There's an ashtray. Um, there, this guy and, and other people by the way, let me describe him. Um, he's older. He's got bad jowls, like old man neck, um, a thick jowls, a, a small nose, heavy bags under his eyes. His hair is gray, but he colors it. It's short on the sides. It's a bad haircut. He combs it straight back and oily. Um, like uh, Germans used to have that too short on the side, like white sidewall, but gray hair that's dyed, it's bad hair. Um, yeah, like that. Uh, jowls, shifty-eyed, mean bastard, um, conniving, um, has information on people and uses it. Um, tells young guys like this missions to do. Um, the sense of what's going on here is firewall, uh, lines of defenses. Don't let this get through to us um, like keep it over there control what's on this side only let like several firewalls so that um, information bad news um, details uh, uh, actual physical um, examination can't be, can't get through to them, and even above, there's people above him. Uh, Man, this is so complex. 
I don't know which. I don't know if I'm supposed to. Uh, it's just more a sense of controlling things, controlling information, perception, uh, investigation. Yeah, they're looking at him, but he's not with them. They're concerned about him. This guy's shifty too, but in a more uh, cultured way. This guy is very powerful, down and dirty, uh, plays rough. Um, that's a scary dude. He's... Uh, They're all very complex. What they're concerned with is something real important, high adrenaline stuff. Um, this is A secret a secret he'll take to his grave uh, that can never be told. Th they don't want this secret told. And they have people that can implement it. This guy desperately wants to talk to them or meet with them. Uh, communicate somehow with them, and he's not being allowed to. Spion. He's um, one of the things he's uh, the attorney general. The attorney general. He's concerned about the attorney general, he's, what he's doing or he called. Um, so this is high level stuff. This is, uh, some historical thing here. I. feel like I'm missing the denouement, the like, oh, he did it, or uh, oh, this is what it is. Um, I don't know if I've, I'm so disjointed in this one, the guy walking down the street, the car, the meeting, the th three different people that I saw, and I saw them real clearly. You know, it's kind of like if you went to a movie that was a foreign film 
and you couldn't quite see the subtitles and you got plopped down in the middle of the film and you looked at it through your Coke cup for 10 seconds and then you couldn't see it for a while and then look again and you see another character and then you got to try to tell the plot of the movie. I don't know. Uh, I just know that I saw these guys and they're concerned about putting up firewalls, um, not figuratively, not literally. Uh, I hope that's, I hope that's enough. Okay, now let's try to pull this all together. To begin, it is clear from both Daz's and Dick's sessions that there were very delicate meetings and arrangements between what appear to be high-level governmental people and lower-level operatives who were going to do the actual shooting. The meetings were tense. The governmental people were clearly nervous and somewhat distrustful working with the operatives. But it was a meeting of mutual necessity. How might this be? Well, it is well known that John F. Kennedy was accumulating a number of powerful enemies. He and his brother, Attorney General Robert Kennedy, had been conducting a campaign against much of organized crime. So those leaders in the criminal syndicates would be obvious potential collaborators in such a venture. Also, President Kennedy made numerous attempts to kill Fidel Castro, apparently the leader of Cuba. But none of these data, which we collected, suggest a foreign element in the assassination that points to either Castro or Cuba. So that appears to be a dead end. However, some elements inside of the United States government were tremendously upset with John Kennedy when he canceled the Bay of Pigs invasion of Cuba, midstream, so to speak, leading to a disastrous event in Cuba with numerous deaths and considerable international embarrassment. This invasion was something that had been planned within the CIA for a very long time prior to Kennedy becoming president. So what actually do these remote viewing data say? In particular, Let's focus on Dick Algeyer's session where he describes what he calls his cast of characters. If the assassination was being organized from within the United States government, then it seems clear, at least to me, that the FBI might have been brought into the scheme at some point. If that did not occur, then the FBI would have launched a full investigation into the assassination and they very likely would have identified all of the primary participants, arrested them, and handed them over to the Justice Department for trial. So, if one is going to kill a president, getting the law enforcement personnel on your side would seem to be an important element in the overall planning. Now, let me speculate based on these remote viewing data. I am not saying that my speculations are correct or factual. They are just thoughts that I wonder about, and I place these speculations in the context of what we can and cannot do with remote viewing data. So please be patient as I describe my ideas. In Dick Algeyer's cast of characters, 
he draws someone who appears to fit the description of J. Edgar Hoover, former director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Here is Dick's drawing of what he calls this older, jowly person, and J. Edgar Hoover. Now, there does seem to be a remarkable resemblance. Moreover, Dick clearly says that this person is afraid of the Attorney General, which in this case would have been JFK's brother, Robert Kennedy. Now, that would make sense, since the Attorney General could launch an investigation into any suspected conspiratorial involvement with the assassination. Moreover, Dick describes this jowly person's car and even calls it a black Cadillac at one point. Well, it so turns out that J. Edgar Hoover's car was a black Cadillac that looks just about exactly like Dick's sketch of the car. I mention all of this because it was obvious to me that people would make these connections all by themselves after looking at these data. So, I want to publicly recognize the similarities between these data and J. Edgar Hoover up front, and then to clearly state that one cannot claim that these data, that are remote viewing data, prove that J. Edgar Hoover was involved in the assassination planning. No remote viewing data can prove anything like that. In fact, no one ever proves anything regarding a criminal case. The only thing anyone can do is to build a case one way or another, and that is exactly what lawyers do in court cases. The juries and judges do the best they can in making a decision based on whatever evidence is provided to them, but this is not proof. It is just a judgment, right or wrong, based on the evidence supplied in the case. Remote viewing data have not yet been accepted by mainstream science as legitimate data, so these perceptual data would not even be admitted in a court case. At best, these data can help direct other investigators who are aware of remote viewing and who deal with physical data to help them in the search for additional physical evidence, such as confessions and even eyewitness testimony. In terms of these remote viewing data, it is very possible that the person Dick Algeyer is perceiving is a different person who simply looks similar to J. Edgar Hoover, rides a car similar to J. Edgar Hoover's car, and who is afraid of Attorney General Robert Kennedy. We just can't make absolute conclusions based on remote viewing data alone. Nonetheless, these data are disturbing. and. If J. Edgar Hoover was involved in the planning of the assassination, it would fit these perceptual data, and it would make sense substantively in the sense that others higher up the chain of command than J. Edgar Hoover would have wanted him to be on the inside of such an event. But we just can't make a definitive conclusion based on these data alone, and as remote viewing specialists, we need to know our limitations. Of course, others are free to make whatever conclusions they want. What of Lee Harvey Oswald? Well, nothing in the data which we have obtained suggests that someone fitting the description of Lee Harvey Oswald was involved in the actual killing of President Kennedy. Any high-level conspiracy to assassinate the President of the United States 
would have obviously needed a fall guy, a patsy, someone to blame. So if these remote viewing data are correct, then it would seem that Lee Harvey Oswald was carefully positioned to be that person. Whether the subsequent killing of Lee Harvey Oswald by Jack Ruby was part of the overall plan is not addressed by these remote viewing data at all, but we should probably consider this a possibility. As with all investigations using remote viewing, old questions remain and new questions emerge. At this point, it is useful if our remote viewers offer their own comments regarding their experiences when remote viewing for a project such as this. Let's begin with Dick Algar, who has some thoughts regarding what he perceived. One thing we have to make clear is that my comments here are post-feedback. We should put that up on the screen. Everything I say in this interview, I know what the target is. But when you see me working at the whiteboard, that's all blind. When I refer to some of my paper and pen sketches, that work was all done blind, with no communication with anyone about the target. I worked this target as 8RME-JRV3. This work, this video, was done more than a month after the other JFK target, and I worked several other unrelated targets in between, so the two JFK targets were not worked adjacent to each other. They were separated. It's not appropriate for a viewer to analyze his own data, but I will talk about how it manifested and what I thought about it. Again, this is post-feedback. In session, this came to me as two different locations and times. In the beginning, I was on a city street in the daytime. I was watching a man walking on a sidewalk. Later contact had me looking at an old car on a foggy night, and then I was in an office. So the man on the sidewalk was very interesting to me. This was one of those pure visual remote viewing events. You know, you close your eyes and you can see it quite clearly. I blacked out and I saw him as clear as could be. He had brown hair. He was in his 30s. He had a plain face with no scars, a strong jaw, but a small chin. I felt this guy was a spy. I felt he had worked for naval intelligence. He was smart, capable, but he had been given an undercover assignment, uh, something working like a stock boy, which he didn't understand and he didn't like. When I saw him on the street, he seemed quite nervous. Um, something totally unexpected had spooked him. He had no idea what was going on. I felt he was trying to rush off to set up a meeting with someone, someone who I felt was his handler or someone that could tell him what was going on. At one point when I looked at him, the word spion popped into my head. Spion. Spion. That didn't mean anything to me at the time. I thought maybe it might have been a German word, but later Again, this was after feedback. It was like two months later. 
I ran into a Russian woman on the beach here in Hawaii, and I said to her, are you Russian? Do you speak Russian? And she said, of course. So I said to her, is this a Russian word? Spion. And she said, of course, that's Russian for spy. Oh, really? That was interesting. Russian for spy. Was I watching Lee Harvey Oswald? He spoke Russian. He supposedly defected to the Soviet Union during the Cold War. In my session, I had perceived a man walking down the street with a fake passport, an old-style passport. I felt he had a double or even a triple identity. And my feeling was that he was suddenly, he felt very alone. He didn't know who to trust, but he was trying to meet with an authority figure who could figure out what was going on, who could like vouch for him. He needed to talk to someone and a bunch of words came into my head like the, the general, the colonel, uh, the chief, or the director, the director. And now I wonder after feedback, could this have been the patsy? As I worked this target, my awareness then shifted. In my method of remote viewing, I'm trained to look at each gestalt in turn and investigate each thing one at a time. So I went back to target and on my viewing screen, in my mind as I looked, I saw this big old black American car of the late 1950s early 60s, a big grill, the chrome bumpers and tail fins, and it seemed to be driving someone to an important meeting, a meeting that seemed to be after hours, hidden, secret, late at night. I didn't say this when I was at the whiteboard, but in the preliminary work, I very strongly felt that this was in Washington, D.C. So I saw this meeting with these guys planning something. My feeling was they were not so much concerned with all the little details, not the nuts and bolts. It seemed to me they were more trying to insulate themselves from the thing and from that guy that I had seen on the street. There were at least four or five people involved, and here's an original sketch of one of the younger ones. There were several others who were older people who I felt were insiders, people in positions of authority with great power. And then this guy. I said in the session there were people above him, higher level decision makers, but this guy was a wheeler and a dealer, a guy that implemented things. He seemed to be a central character in the plotting that was going on. That is interesting. Similarly, Daz Smith has some thoughts regarding his own experiences remote viewing for this project. Listen carefully as he explains. At this stage, I know what the target is. Feedback's been revealed to me. Uh, remote viewers really shouldn't analyze their own data, but I'm gonna give you some of my impressions as I went through that target, um, just to give you some clarification, really. Now, first off, this target was really interesting to me because uh, it ended up feeling like it was a meeting between two different sets of people. Uh, both sets of people were suited up. They felt like they were wearing some kind of uh, uniform to make them fit in. Now, one set of group of these people felt very political. They were very governmental. Uh, it almost felt like they had like a secret service type uh, group of people that were also protecting them. They had a security detail. Now, they met with a second group of people. 
uh, and this other group of people were also in similar attire, uh, but the general demeanour about them felt a little bit less professional. It's almost like the suit and tie uniform getup for them was a bit of a, a bit of a mask. Now these people felt like they were they were the doers in in this arrangement, and this was a, what I what I ended up seeing at this target was a meeting between these two different groups. The political group were the were the brains behind the operation. They were the ones that organised it, and the other group, the ones that didn't kind of fit in in, in their attire, um, they felt like the muscle behind this. They felt like the people that were doing this kind of project, um, and it felt like a very uneasy meeting here. Very uneasy. Uh, a lot of uh, untru- untrust at the beginning. I felt that at some point the two key people involved shook hands uh, and this meeting took place uh, in an environment that was in a city I felt that it was remote from at least one of these groups of people. It might have been remote from both of them. I also picked up some very other interesting details with this target. Um, I kept smelling lots of smoke uh, and at the time when I wrote the smoke, it sm- it, I wrote down Cuban because it smelled like it smelled like Cuban cigars. Now knowing what the target is, post um, and knowing some of the rumours out there that uh, J- JFK and the Bay of Pigs and the Cuban situation could that have been some kind of symbolic information there? I, I just don't know. I was getting a lot of impressions though of politicalness. It all felt very political, and it felt like there was a situation involved here that. Uh, Everyone was fearful for. Um, there was a great sense of fear amongst everyone, especially in the political type group of people involved in this target. Uh, and I also wrote information here in the in, in paper, and I'm not sure if I got it on the video, but in the paper here I, I had an impression and wrote down AOLs of uh, kind of it felt like a a war type situation. That that amount of fear. And let me just go through my data here. I had these uniformed people, as I said, that it felt like they had some kind of security force protecting them. They felt very political. The whole kind of situation felt political, um, very businesslike. The main group of people, the brains behind this, they were very, very political, very professional. Um, I would say very operational or very influential type people. The other group they met with, not so much so. Um, they were a little bit scarier, a bit more streetwise, I would say. Uh, I also had AOLs here uh, when I was looking at this group of people, uh, of things like uh, being, them being judgmental, and then I had an AOL attorney. So were there some kind of um, legalities there? I, I don't know. And I felt that this was an arrangement where these two groups met. They planned uh, what appears to now knowing what the target is. It appears like they, they planned the, the assassination attempt on JFK. I got all these information about it being a forced situation, uh, there was a, an overall feeling of dread and apprehension, a lot of fear around these people, and, I, and that's, that's where I get this feeling of there may have been a war situation or an impending war situation because of this, uh, or that war was a focus of uh, why, why this meeting, why this project was, was kick-started by these two groups of people. Um, overall, um, the people were were interesting to me because, uh, as I said, it was very political. Uh, I can't get that across quite enough, uh, how secretive and apprehensive and cloak and dagger this entire situation was in this meeting. It was very dark.
um, they were very concerned and as I said the upper echelon group uh, the more political ones did seem to have this uniform security group that were you know around watching checking the situation making sure no one knew what was going on or no one was going to interfere uh, yeah this whole thing also felt like it had a lot to do with power and a lot to do with influence as well and I get that more from the political type group rather than the the doing type group um, as I said they just felt like the muscle in this the ones that were actually going to do what was planned uh, or jointly planned by both parties in this um, overall uh, I got a, a general element of distrust between all the people involved here um, I think this was a first meeting a kickoff meeting they might have had some kind of communications beforehand, but I feel that this was the primary kickoff meeting. I felt as they were shaking hands, general distress in the air, lots of wariness. Um, and I had the overall impression that they, they got over this. Um, they did what they had to do, which obviously, as we know from, from the events and the filming of the day, most probably led to the, uh, the arrangement of the assassination of JFK. And... From my data and from what I've seen of Dick's data, and from knowing a bit about research over this over the years, it gives the impression to me the that the lone gunman scenario given to us or fed to us by uh, about Oswald is probably not true, and it appears to be from the data that there was a a coup and some kind of conspiracy in the assassination of JFK. So there you have it. You have seen all of our remote viewing data regarding the John F. Kennedy assassination. From the perspective of these data, it does appear that the assassination was a coup d'etat, a perfectly executed inside job. In fact, it appears that the phrase conspiracy theorist was likely conjured up in the aftermath of this assassination as part of the plan to throw the mainstream media off the trail by ridiculing those who sought to connect the dots that might lead to a different interpretation than that offered by the government. An interpretation that had only one outcome, the mad actions of a lone gunman, who himself was no longer available for questioning. It was a tidy story, all wrapped up and delivered to the public who sought desperately for some sort of resolution to help heal the psychic trauma of this tragic event. But there were always doubts, and many people simply did not believe the official story. Now it is finally possible to obtain new eyewitness accounts, to go back in time and watch everything all over again with fresh eyes, so to speak. Now we have the very real possibility of ending the secrecy that has shrouded the minds of the public for so many years. Indeed, we are looking at a future in which we may be able to change the evolutionary course of humanity by offering a path where we can govern ourselves in the absence of secrecy. Can you imagine what sort of future that would be? A future in which those who would seek to manipulate the public for private gain, would know that keeping that manipulation out of the public realm forever would be impossible, knowing that indeed they might get caught 
and there is nothing they could do to entirely prevent that. Governance in the absence of secrecy. We have become so accustomed to living in a world of secrecy, we can hardly imagine what the end of secrecy might look like. Perhaps we will have to try it one day. You never know. We might end up liking it. We might even end up redefining the real meaning of living in a state of freedom. Bondage in our modern world is more than a physical thing. It is mental, psychological, entirely mediated by the control of what you know. There will always be those who seek to control the information that others have access to and believe. And because at least some such people so influenced will always exist, there will always be some level of bondage in the world. But freedom for the majority of any world begins one person at a time. And individuals can be free even if an entire world is in bondage if they redefine their beliefs by entertaining new ideas. This report is aimed at contributing to this possibility. I am Courtney Brown, director of the Farsight Institute. Thank you for watching. Okay, folks. So there you have it. Uh, you know, a couple a couple things about this planners organizers meeting that stands out. Is of course the mention of Hoover, uh, the mention of uh, Oswald, uh, you know, possibly going to meet. Uh, the words, you know, uh, the chief, you know, Oswald said, the chief will protect me. And the fact that those words came out of uh, Dick Algar's mouth is pretty, pretty astonishing. Um, of course, take this. With a grain of sand, again, you know, if you believe uh, that remote viewing is is a science and an actual viable um, tool that we can use to help view past events, um, then it certainly uh, begs for more research and, and, and everything I thought. <laughs> You know, going into this, hey, it'd be cool if somebody remote viewed the Kennedy assassination and was able to actually see what these uh, shooters look like, see if it was Lee Harvey Oswald, or see if he was even shooting from the sixth floor, things like that. But unfortunately, um, you know, it's just not that precise. Um, but it is enough for us to kind of throw these pieces of the remote viewing into the giant puzzle that is the Kennedy assassination and try to uh, figure out. I mean, we, we've, we've learned a lot these past two episodes um, and a lot of this stuff does line up with what we do know. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty awesome thing to kind of take in and, and consider, you know, when looking at all this and once again, all this was done by the Farsight Institute. And if you would like to, uh, go there and check out all their stuff. I would go to farsight.org. That's F-A-R-S-I-G-H-T dot org. Uh, these guys have uh, remote viewed the 9-11 uh, 
tragedy. They have remote viewed other planets uh, like Mars. Um, they have remote viewed Area 51. They have remote viewed all kinds of stuff. Um, a lot of biblical events, Sodom and Gomorrah. They've they've uh, they've uh, remote viewed the uh, a lot of the ancient Egyptian stuff. Gobekli Tepe, um, ancient Roman gods like Zeus. Um, what Moses was doing, uh, the Tunguska, the Roswell crash, Phoenix Lights, um, Operation High Jump. They've remote viewed Noah's Ark, the devil, Lucifer himself. So if you'd like to hear what these guys have to say on a bunch of this stuff, head over to the Farsight Institute. That's farsight.org and check it all out. They have uh, videos up for all this stuff, and it is fascinating for sure. Um, anyway, that's it for this one. Thank you, folks, for tuning in. Once again, it's much appreciated. Feel free to follow along on Twitter at the Lone Gummin Seven, and on YouTube that's the Lone Gummin Podcast. Search it out, subscribe, uh, help a brother out there. We're almost to a thousand. We can do it. Um, we will get there. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for all your feedback, and stay tuned for more to come from your boy and the Lone Gummin Podcast. And make sure you're checking out Quick Hits. That is also a podcast about the JFK assassination that I do with my buddy Doug Campbell, host of the Dallas Action, brought to you by WallStreetWindow.com. How do you like that free ad, Doug? What's up, dude? Anyway, that's it for this one. Folks, it's been real. Catch you on the flip side. Peace.